0: Hello, and welcome to Elder Sign, a weird fiction podcast by Clay Temple Media. My name's Glenn McDormand.
1: And I'm Brandon Buddha. This episode, we want to welcome you to the project, introduce ourselves, and talk about how you can read along with us and join the conversation.
0: Right. We're going to explain what we're going to cover on the show, what the show is going to be like, and we're going to talk about why we're doing the show. But if you feel you've already got a handle on what weird fiction is, you've read some of it before, and you don't really care who we are, go right ahead and jump onto to the, the first substantive episode. We've got a two-parter on Edgar Allan Poe's Murders in the Rue Morgue that we're really happy with, we think you're going to love, and we'll see you there. But we're going to start this episode by trying to get a, a definition of weird fiction, really just explaining what it is that we're going to be covering on this show. Weird fiction is this really nebulous label. People use it, they apply it to all sorts of different stories, but people can have also all sorts of really tight criteria or tight sets of rules and, and can maybe even sometimes do a little bit of gatekeeping about what can qualify as weird fiction and what can't. So I think it's actually going to be helpful to start not with putting forth our own definition, but with giving some specific examples. And this is kind of the classic definition of, well, I can't really tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. And the first thing that's going to jump to anyone's mind when they're thinking about weird fiction is H.P. Lovecraft, the the famous horror writer who wrote in the 1920s and the 1930s. Everybody on the planet knows who H.P. Lovecraft is, or at least they know some of the things from his work. If you've heard of Cthulhu, uh, if you've heard of Arkham, even if it's just Arkham Asylum, which you're thinking of as a Batman thing, that is actually originally a Lovecraft term. Lovecraft does, I'd say maybe three important things or three important moves that he makes that really differentiate what he's doing from some of the things that other people are doing at the time. One of them is to build up really his own speculative world. And this is this alternate New England of which Arkham is a city, and then builds up this pantheon of, uh, you know, supernatural beings, maybe we'll say what's called the Cthulhu mythos, though that's not a term that he himself ever used. And all of this goes to, to serve a, a particular brand of, of cosmic horror, this this type of horror story in which the real horror is that we as humans, as individual people find out that nothing we do matters. We don't matter. Our lives are totally insignificant and maybe even that the universe is act- actively trying to kill us. And as a cosmic horror writer, though not all of his stories fit that mold, uh, Lovecraft also was something of a, a pioneer of, uh, of what we might call science horror as well. That although he's writing about things such as zombies, he's doing that from a scientific standpoint, not from a, a sorcery standpoint. Though Lovecraft does have some magic and sorcery in his world as well. So as I said, H.P. Lovecraft was principally writing in the 1920s and the 1930s, and he published his stories in a magazine called Weird Tales. But Lovecraft was not the only person who published in Weird Tales, and Weird Tales itself was a really big and really popular magazine. Uh, ran from the early 1920s into the early 1950s. And some, some of the other contributors are are really famous people, uh, such as Robert E. Howard, right, who invented Conan the Barbarian, of course. Seabury uh, Quinn, who had this really awesome supernatural detective. And, and TV shows such as Supernatural, TV shows such as Angel are really in the vein of stories that Seabury Quinn invented. And then, of course, also Robert Bloch, published a lot in Weird Tales. And he's the author of of Psycho. He also wrote some Star Trek episodes as well. And so here in the, the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, there was this big milieu, this whole kind of uh, world of people publishing in Weird Tales. And that can be, a, I think, a really good starting point for trying to get out what weird fiction
1: is. But there's more to it. You mentioned in there cosmic horror, which is, I think, oftentimes what people think about when they think about weird fiction. One of the best examples of cosmic horror is the film Alien, of course, and that whole collection of films, uh, And as they, especially as they get weirder and delve into the Alien versus Predator world and all of these sorts of things. The, the core idea of those movies is that we live in a universe that is indifferent to us. And most of the beings in the universe, apart from ourselves, outside of our solar system or even within it, are more powerful than us and indifferent to us. Horror, but weird fiction really goes far, far beyond purely cosmic horror. You mentioned science horror. There's body horror like David Cronenberg does. And this is all part of something that is now called the new weird. And the new weird is a phrase that was coined in the early 2000s. And it's come to describe a stable of writers, including China Mieville and his new Crowsbun novels and and other works of his. Jeff Vandermeer is big in The New Weird. He and his wife Anne are really important in The New Weird scene. Jeff Vandermeer, of course, is now famous uh, as his Southern Reach trilogy has been adapted into the film Annihilation that was directed by Alex Garland, who wrote a bunch of Danny Boyle movies that really play on The Weird like Sunshine and 28 Days Later and The Beach. Thomas Ligotti has also been grouped into this camp as well, and he's uh, an important figure culturally now due to his influence on the writer of True Detective season one, uh, which pulled a lot of Ligotti's life philosophy out of his books and out of Ligotti's own philosophical work and put it in the character of Rust Cole, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character. Ligotti and the writer of True Detective were also pulling on Robert W. Chambers' The King in Yellow as a major influence for that first season. Ligotti's approach to the weird, though, is heavily indebted to early weird fiction writers like M- Arthur Machen and H.P. Lovecraft. Vandermeer and Mievel's sensibilities, though, are, and, and I, I just want to say I haven't read a lot of either of these writers, appear to blend a lot of genres, including early Weird tales like Lovecraft and Machin and, and Chambers, but they also lean more heavily on elements of dark fantasy like we see in Stephen King's Dark Tower series. I think one way that we can orient readers to what the new weird is is to look at two of the top selling, you know, quote unquote horror writers of the past several decades, which are Dean Koontz and Stephen King. As I just mentioned, Stephen King writes a lot of what people could term as dark fantasy. We get strange creatures, interdimensional beings, people going mad, in different supernatural forces guiding humanity, like we see in The Stand where there's a good force guiding humanity towards something good and uh, another force guiding humanity towards something bad. It's a cl- kind of classic Manichaean struggle. But what one thing Stephen King does very well is focus on the the human element, the people who are living their lives also almost with a sense of indifference towards these bigger forces. There's a, almost a mutual indifference you can pick up in some of King's <laughs> writing. But many of Dean kuntz's novels deal with a blend of science gone awry or maniacs performing their dark deeds and everyday people are caught in the middle and rising to the occasion in many cases. And if we can group in these popular horror writers with the new weird, and I think we can, looking back we can see that they've all learned different lessons from the horror stories that they grew up with. And they developed their interests as writers out of those lessons and combined all of the rest of the literature that they were reading as well. And so The New Weird really covers a much vaster range of topics and ideas than weird fiction itself does. And there's a direct
0: line from the Weird Tales writers to the writers of the New Weird. Stephen King is the the most obvious and probably the best example here, where he wholesale takes people who appear in in H.P. Lovecraft stories and imports them into his own stories. And he also, like Lovecraft, is creating his own alternate New England and setting these horror stories in them. But just like the, the New Weird writers themselves are drawing on what came before, so is H.P. Lovecraft and the rest of the stable of weird tales writers. And so we want to talk a little bit about some of the the precursors to H.P. Lovecraft as well. So let's just talk about some of those precursors as well. I think the most obvious one of course is going to be Edgar Allan Poe who wrote all of these real gothic tales that have some really terrifyingly weird elements to them and Lovecraft himself has said that in his early years about half of what he was writing was in explicit and specific imitation of Poe he refers to a lot of his stories as his poe stories there's arthur machen a british writer late victorian edwardian era who wrote a lot of weird fiction about the realness of Pagan beliefs and the survival of pagan rituals and the survival of elements of the pagan past into the modern day. But he also wrote a lot of stories about uh, scholars who are delving into mysteries and coming to ruin because of what they find there, right? I think the whole trope of the scholar protagonist story is don't read that book. Nothing good is going to come of that. And there's another British writer who. Plays with the scholar protagonist trope a lot as well, who was enormously influential on H.P. Lovecraft and the other weird tales writers. And that's M.R. James, who was a, a medievalist. He was a- an academic in the Oxbridge system. And famously wrote a bazillion ghost stories. And if you live in Britain, you have seen a ghost stories for Christmas BBC TV movie that is either an explicit adaptation of an M.R. James story or is heavily influenced by it. Uh, This whole notion of ghost stories for Christmas is really James's hallmark. And then there's also Algernon Blackwood, uh, another British writer, although he spent a lot of time in uh, New York City and living in Canada as well, who also wrote uh, in the Edwardian period Victorian period as well, and became really well known for a particular brand of cosmic horror that I think would we'll just call wilderness horror, in which it's not necessarily the whole universe. It's not outer space that is indifferent to us, but it is nature, right? Trees might actually turn out to in some way be kind of supernatural creatures that want to murder all of us. So I think it's probably fair to say from the examples that we've been given that it's easy to see uh, weird fiction as perhaps even just a a subgenre of horror fiction. And and we certainly will treat it that way. But we're going to do some other things with that as well. But before we get there, I think what we really need to do is look at the definition or the schemes that H.P. Lovecraft himself gave for weird fiction in his famous essay, Supernatural Horror in Literature.
1: Supernatural Horror in Literature is actually a really great essay. It starts a little clunky as his Lovecraft style, but he loosens up a little bit as he really begins to talk about the things he loves about the types of fiction that influenced him as a writer and influenced supernatural horror as a genre. It opens with a a famous quote, which you can find anywhere, so I'm not going to repeat it here. But the gist of it is that the thing we have to fear the most is fear of the unknown. And this is what drives a lot of supernatural horror, is people encountering the unknown and feeling fear. A much better description of what he means by this comes at the end of the introduction of the essay, when, when Lovecraft writes this. We may say, as a general thing, that a weird story whose intent is to teach or produce a social effect or one in which the horrors are finally explained away by natural means is not a genuine tale of cosmic fear. But it remains a fact that such narratives often possess in isolated sections atmospheric touches which fulfill every condition of true supernatural horror literature. And what he's saying here is that the point of Supernatural horror or cosmic horror is not to be able to ex- ultimately explain to the reader what has happened. Those he think do not meet the criteria for what a weird fiction story should be. Uh, the unknown should remain unknown in other words, by the end of the story as a result, weird fiction can hold together a lot of different speculative genres, historical fiction, science fiction, and fantasy. In the essay, Lovecraft talks a lot about how his ideas of the occult comes from the sort of dreams of ancient people worrying about who was out in the woods, praying to what god, trying to destroy their way of life. And this is all over weird fiction, these touches of the occult and acolytes of dark gods. But we find elements of this even in books marketed as literary fiction. They're drawing on elements of the weird and writers from All genres are pulling on weird fiction for their stories, while weird fiction writers are pulling from all of literature for their stories. And we live in this kind of great moment where weird fiction has become a major influence in a lot of different types of storytelling that we encounter in the West.
0: And we want to take advantage of that in order to read really just as broadly as we can across genres. Really, we should say across artificial publishing categories that are really about where do books go in the bookstore and not really about understanding what's what's in the content of those stories. In order to do that, we're going to have our own sort of big umbrella definition of what weird fiction is. And our definition envisions a, a continuum of stories with weird at one end and wonder at the other. And stories can exist anywhere on a continuum between weird and wonder, and in fact, can contain elements of both. And in fact, you can tell the same story, you can tell the same plot in The Register of Wonder. And you can tell that same plot in The Register of Weird. I can tell you a story about my space traveling adventure in which I went to another planet and found uh, a species of, of sentient creatures who ritually sacrifice members of their own species. And they artfully remove their internal organs. And then they bury those organs in the ground. And then a tree grows from those organs. And those very trees, those same trees, provide the main food source for these people. And so through this sacrifice, individuals continue their life in the community in a a new and and really in in a meaningful way. And I could come back home from my space trip and I could tell you how cool and interesting that is. And with questions about how that biology, how this alien biology works and what all of this means about our definitions of life and sentience and community. It's all wondrous to me, right? This is a wonder tale. But I could tell this same plot, this same exact story in the weird register or the weird mood. I could tell this story about these people who viciously murder members of their own community, members of their own family, and then eat them. These are savage cannibals who have perverted the sanctity of life, and they should be avoided at all costs, and maybe even exterminated before they can exterminate us and turn us into food somehow. It's the same plot as the wonder story, but my reaction to it as the protagonist isn't wonder. It's weird. It's horror maybe even another example of this is the Lord of the Rings, which has elements of both weirdness and wonder, right? Think about the description of Lothlorien, this beautiful, magical forest with the biggest trees that you could ever possibly imagine. And in those trees are houses, flats in which immortal angelic elves live. This forest has its own rules for time. It has its own weather system. It doesn't obey the rules of the world outside of it. It's wondrous, but the Lord of the Rings also has the Nazgul, who are every bit as much of a, a weird fiction creature as Cthulhu or yog sothoth is. These creatures who are simply... Uh Twisted spirits of men who've been twisted, in fact, by uh, a magical object, and who are tied to this sort of mythical past, who have, uh, who exude fear, who have something called the black breath that makes people around them uh, quake in their boots, that really cower in an uncontrollable fear. Both of those things exist here in the same story. So, Lord of the Rings can be this this wonder fiction, but it can also be weird fiction, and so by using this umbrella definition, by thinking about stories as existing on a a continuum or containing even elements of both weirdness and wonder, this is going to allow us to read a a really broad range of writers and stories that exist anywhere close to the weird side or even really at the center of this continuum. Okay, so that's the type of story that we're going to cover here on this podcast, but let's talk a little bit about, about what that is that we're going to cover. So mostly we're going to be covering short stories and novellas, though maybe in the future we will do some novels. But here, I think at the beginning of the podcast, beginning of this show's run, we want to read as much as possible uh, rather than to get bogged down in a, a longer work. And we have a batch of episodes already recorded that I really think represent the breadth of the project as we've envisioned it. But starting in June, our listeners are actually going to be the ones who will choose what we're going to cover. Uh, there will be more on this when When we get to The Repair of Reputations in April.
1: We'll also be covering this material anachronically. We're not concerned at all about going through an author's oeuvre chronologically, because we're really looking at weird fiction as a broader category, and it's something we want to really engage with our audience about. So we'll be doing some recent and contemporary writings, and we'll also be going back to the origins of the genre. We've already recorded a bunch of episodes, And at launch, we'll have three episodes available. The first will be Murders in the Room Morgue by Edgar Allan Poe. This is a doozy of an episode. We go through an awful lot of the context of the story, the meaning of the story, and questions we still struggle with today. I think it's a real treat. Next up, we'll be reading the Thomas Ligotti story, The Frolic. And the third episode available is M.R. James' Lost Hearts, which is one of James' classic ghost stories. And it's A lot of fun. And
0: you can listen to these episodes without reading along. You don't have to read the stories with us. You don't have to have ever read them before in order to enjoy our episodes. Each episode, we're going to recap the story, and then we'll discuss its thematic elements, its its narrative elements, and we'll we'll connect it into a sort of broader historical context of its own time and try to make as many connections as possible between that story of, in that episode and other stories that we've already looked at. But for those of you who do want to read along with us and, and engage more deeply with With these stories as as we're going through this journey, we've set up a a forum at claytemplemedia.com where you can join in the conversation where you can talk with us, you can talk with each other. Uh, This is a conversation that we're really excited to have, and and we hope that a lot of you will want to read along with us.
1: If you want to check out what we're doing in the future, you can find our calendar of expected episodes. It's on our podcast webpage, claytemplemedia.com slash elderside. All right. Well, that was an awful lot about what it is that we're covering. But I think we should take some
0: time here in this introductory episode, Brandon, to talk about why we're doing this show in the first place. You and I write in this genre. We, we write weird fiction. And so a real impetus, a real goal for us here is simply to appreciate the long and rich history of this genre that is comprised of tens of thousands of stories, thousands of novels. Uh, and it's going to be so much fun, I think, to really kind of take a deep dive into that body of work. But we're also very interested in learning how to write better, right? We want to learn from the negative examples and the positive examples of weird fiction. What makes a great weird fiction story and what makes a bad one? And how could these stories be improved? And in fact, sometimes we're going we're gonna to read some of these bad stories and we're going to do even a bit of story doctoring and even maybe workshop some of the stories, pull apart some paragraphs, pull apart some sentences and see why they don't quite work and how we can get better at writing an I know that we have lots of other writers who listen to some of our other shows, uh, and I think that this will be a lot of fun for that part of the audience as well.
1: And not only is it great ideas for content, for story prompts, what would I do different with this story? How would I change the characters? It's a wonderful way to really dive deep and do surgery on a story. But studying some of these weird fiction writers has already been, at this time of recording, a real pleasure. I really love what we've covered so far
0: you and I have different histories and and levels of engagement with weird fiction. And I think we should talk a little bit about how we have come to want to love reading this genre, but also maybe a little bit about how we've come to to be writing in this genre. And so Brandon, I just want to ask you how did you first encounter weird fiction? At what point did weird fiction
1: enter your life? Officially, the the official date it entered my <laughs> life, which is odd. But the, the first real weird fiction story I read was The Rats in the Walls by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, I was in AIT, which is the job training program that the army provides for your job. Uh, I was in Texas. I was very poor. Uh, I spent a lot of time at the base library, and I was... They're still mostly trying to read classics, though I was branching out into science fiction a little bit. And Lovecraft was, in, in my mind, a writer who I knew I had to read as, as kind of being grouped into this broad category of classics at the age of 18, you know, from what I learned in, in <laughs> high school. Uh, my roommate had bought a copy of uh, a collection of Lovecraft short stories, uh, but I loved The Rats in the Walls. It gave me the. Chills. And looking back, you know, I grew up with a library card and I'd go to the library almost every week. And in the summers, you know, up until almost I graduated high school, my parents demanded that we spend an hour or two every day doing something educational during the summer. And around the age of 16, that began to make sense to me. And I began to really love reading. And I read what we had in the house. And the books that my mom would take out were on occasion, supernatural th- thrillers like Dean Koontz novels. It's why, it's why I'm a <laughs> fan of Dean Koontz today. And it's why I still pick up a Tom Clancy novel every once in a while, because uh, my dad was a huge Tom Clancy fan. But now looking back, a lot of what has informed my love of weird fiction is Dean Kuntz. I-, I really still love his books. I'll pick one up every year and a half or so and blow through it and then wait another year and a half and, and pick him up. He's not someone I can read a lot of now. Um, but his books like TikTok and Cold Fire, I, I remember reading when I was like 15. I remember reading Cold Fire and staying up until like one in the morning and my mom coming down the hall and asking me my, why my light was still on in my room. And I'm like, I'm reading this book. And she's like, you need to put it down and go to bed. And that's a book, you know, there's like weird aliens and psychic phenomenon and, and maniacs and all this stuff, uh, all these elements can identify now looking back as weird fiction, I really learned from Dean Kuntz. But officially, the first weird fiction tale I ever read was Rats in the Walls. And as I said, when I really got back to the roots of weird fiction, I realized how much both Dean Kuntz and Stephen King were pulling from the stuff they admittedly had read in horror magazines growing up which were sometimes just graphic novel versions of weird fiction stories. Um, but Glenn, what what is your relationship with weird fiction? Where did it really get started for you? My very first introduction to
0: weird fiction uh, it was also my very first introduction really to, to horror fiction. And this is something that happened while I was spending a, a weekend at my grandparents' house. Oh, the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade, somewhere between junior high and high school. My parents were getting divorced. I'm pretty sure I was just spending the weekend at my grandparents to be out of their hair while some of that stuff was going on, though superficially I was there to do yard work and get paid, I don't know, $50 or something for for spending a weekend doing hard labor, shearing bushes and mowing the lawn and all that sort of stuff. We've
1: all been there, right? (laughs) Right. This
0: is everyone's story. But my grandfather had a really extensive library. And of course, I was an avid reader. And I think probably I had brought three books with me. They were, I'll confess, they were all Dragonlance novels. And I got through them all within sort of the uh, Saturday, by Saturday afternoon. So Saturday night came around, but I really was doing the yard work, I will say, but I also read voraciously and very quickly. So by the time Saturday night came around, I was out of books to read. And so I went through my grandfather's library and I found this really beautiful, uh, black, leather-bound volume with uh, with gold leaf pages, a uh, volume of the collected works of Edgar Allan Poe. And it just visually called to me. I'd, I pulled it off the shelf. I'd heard the name Poe before, but didn't really know very much about him, and just started reading. And I as I recall, the first story that I read was The Fall of the House of Usher, but I just stayed up, much like you with Dean Kuntzman, and I just stayed up all night reading this. And in fact, I remember getting yelled at a little bit the next morning for being sluggish and uh, not ready to resume the the, the yard work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I uh, I still have this book. In fact, it's actually uh, the only thing from my grandfather that I have. But I'm very pleased that my grandfather, uh, very old fashioned, you know, grew up during the Depression, had one of those stamps, an ex libris stamp. And so it does, uh, embedded forever into the title page of this volume is from the library of Robert W. McDormand. Um, I'm very grateful to have that. But I fell so much in love with Poe that Uh, Upon entering high school, uh, something that my high school had to do freshman year English class, half of that class was uh, a speech class. And one of the speeches that we had to give was uh, a speech about who our hero was. And, you know, half the class gave speeches about how one of their family members was their hero. But I gave my speech about how my hero was Edgar Allan Poe. And of course, I began that speech with a dramatic and graphic description of what it would be like to be sitting around in your parlor, uh, enjoying a nice evening in uh, Baltimore or Philadelphia in the 19th century, when suddenly members of your family start coughing up blood with tuberculosis. Um, I don't think I was even allowed to finish giving that speech in class, actually. But all of that's really just to say that encountering Edgar Allan. Poe. There's one volume of Edgar Allan Poe and my grandfather's library was extremely formative and super important to me. And also turns out to be basically the exact plot of half of all weird fiction stories is just randomly finding a book in the library.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. But that's the joy of going to the library going to a used bookstore.
0: Right. This is a subject we're going to return to a lot on this podcast. And I don't know, we might even have to see if we can get some used bookstores or some grandparents' basements or something to sponsor the show from time to time. But I think before we just start delving into tales of library treasures, library discoveries, we should bring this introductory episode to a close and, and let people get on with the stories that we're all here for. I'm Glenn McDorman,
1: And once again, I'm Brandon Buddha.
0: We're really glad you're here. We look forward to hearing from you on our forum at claytemplemedia.com and just generally having you along with us on this journey.
1: Be sure to check out our first official episode, which is the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Murders in the Room Morgue. Until then, we greet you and say farewell.